Well, this morning I've been um, given an open subject, which uh, I rather like because it gives me an opportunity to speak on what I feel God has put on my heart. And, uh, and I have actually got something on my heart this morning. Um, so I was quite pleased to be asked to speak, really. And this morning's talk really comes out of a Sunday morning a few weeks back when we were singing in the worship time about the fire falling. And I felt the phrase come to me during the worship time, we really need the fire. And it's quite intriguing what Andy and Brian just shared this morning because I don't think they had any idea what I was going to be speaking on this morning. We really need the fire. And during that worship time in that morning, I did wonder if it was something I should share there and then, or do I sit on it for a while? And then one or two other people shared other things that uh, in the meeting seemed to take a slightly different direction. And uh, so I sat on it, and uh, I just sort of thought, well, the time will come for me to share. And then I was asked to speak, and so then I thought, yeah, I think this is really what I need to speak on. Now, that morning, Brian was actually speaking, and he gave us a great talk on putting the important things in place. And one of those foundation stones we must put into place was the Bible and how important God's Word is for our everyday existence. And it began to dawn on me that we need both threads. And in a sense, this is another foundation stone. We need the fire, um, and we need the word and the fire. And I just want to look at the verse that's actually been on my heart a lot recently, and I think that's the one that came to me during that worship time. And then I'll try and explain a little bit about how I feel the word and the fire can actually come together. Now, these are the prophetic words of John the Baptist, when he was actually sort of prophesying the coming of Jesus. And he said, I baptize, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who comes after me is greater than I. I am not worthy even to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I was talking to somebody about this only recently, actually, and then the person asked me, what is the fire? Uh, my first thought was, well, what a stupid question. Well, it's the Holy Spirit. Um, and then it got me thinking. And of course, there's so many different interpretations of fire. And we find them in Scripture, obviously. I, I want to hone in on one this morning, so that's not the others are un unimportant. But I, I actually realized that sometimes what can seem a simple question on the surface can actually be quite deep and insightful, and I had to repent, um, because actually that was a really good question, and it got me thinking, what is the fire? Now, sometimes we say, well, yeah, it's the Holy Spirit, because that's what Scripture uses as a symbol so often. What happened on the day of Pentecost? Tongues of fire came on the disciples' head, and it, nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that was all John the Baptist meant on this occasion. Otherwise, he would have been saying... He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit. So I think there was something deeper in actually what he was saying. 
And I felt, when I was thinking about this, you know, it's not just that we receive the Holy Spirit as Jesus promised. I don't think that was all he was getting at. But we also receive what the Holy Spirit brings. That's really important. We receive what the Holy Spirit brings as well as receiving the Holy Spirit according to the promise. You see, it's great to understand that when a um, Christian becomes a believer, we believe the Holy Spirit comes, takes up residence within us. We receive the Holy Spirit just as Jesus promised that that we would. But we have a choice. We can either sit on it and look forward to heaven, or we can put it into practice now, here on earth, in this day. And putting the Holy Spirit into action in everyday life, I believe, needs the fire. And I tend to see it a little bit like this, excuse the cartoon, but it's a little bit like putting petrol in your car. You can leave it in the garage, and it's going to go nowhere. It only bursts into life when the fuel is ignited. Now, I'm sure you all from your um, secondary school science know basically how a combustion engine works. You know, the the fuel and the air mixture comes into the piston. Sorry, did I say something? No? Okay. Um, Comes into the piston and it needs the spark to ignite it. And it goes bang! And the only reason you don't hear bang is because we have these wonderful... um, sort of technological things of silencers and exhaust systems that actually just makes it purr nicely down the road, unless you're one of these kids who like to put all the megaphone exhaust on. But that's a different issue. Normally, the car sounds quite quiet, but basically, under the bonnet, it's going bang, 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 because the fuel is being ignited. So we need to ignite the fuel of the Holy Spirit. Do you see where I'm coming from? And I just sort of feel this morning, don't be like a car full of petrol that's sitting in the garage and going nowhere. Now, one way to interpret this word fire is this word zeal. Now, zeal or passion, you know, often we say, you know, somebody's fired up. You know, they've got the fire of passion in them. And I think one of the biggest challenges facing the UK church is complacency which is the opposite of zeal, isn't it? And something that I'm feeling at the moment, this is no time for complacency, folks. It really isn't. Whatever you believe about the fulfillment of prophecy, end times, and all that stuff, you only have to look at what's happening in the world at the moment to see that the enemy is having a field day. It's not permanent, be reassured, but I do believe that you know folks are asking all sorts of questions. What's going on in the world? It's not the stable, civilized world I grew up in. What is happening? And people are asking those questions. Even on Facebook recently, some of my friends have asked just those kind of questions. And can we get back to some kind of normality, whatever normal is? There's a lot going on in the world, and there's a lot of fear and anxiety out there. And personally, I do believe that we're in the time mentioned in Revelation where it says that the devil is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. And we do see his hand in so much that is happening in the world at the moment. Now, do please test what I'm saying because 
Um, don't take everything as unerring truth that you hear from my lips because we do, well, we, we're human. We do make mistakes. We get things wrong. Although my wife tells me that I'm always right. I, I don't think she always means it as a compliment. Um, but no, we, we are human. You know, so the Bible tells us, test all things. But this prophecy of Jesus, which I'm about to share, does sound very applicable to where we are at the moment. And Jesus said, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now, whether you agree that's sort of applicable to now or not, I think what we can agree on is this is not the time for complacency. And actually, to be honest, it's never the time for complacency when we're talking about our relationship with Jesus. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? He always leads us into a closer relationship with Jesus. And that's so important when we see what's going on in the world at the moment. Folks, we really do need the fire of the Holy Spirit. And the idea of bringing the passion and the zeal that we need in this difficult days, I think comes out in one or two other translations in the Bible of those words of John in Matthew 3:11. And I like the way the message version interprets John's words, and I think you'll see how it fits. He will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. And another commentator also says that this passage could be translated like this. He will baptize you in the raging fire of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to let you into a little secret this morning. I do so easily slip into complacency. I know I do and I do have to challenge myself on that. You see, I, I do like my comfort. You know, sit me in front of my wood burner with packet of nuts and a nice warm drink and a cheesy old film, I'm, I'm really happy. Um, and of course, nothing wrong with those things, because sometimes we do need to chill and relax a little bit. It's good for us. But if pleasure becomes our main focus, then I think we're in danger of falling into the trap that Jesus warns us of in the parable of the sower, where he said the growing seed can so easily become choked with weeds, thorns and brambles which stand, he said, for the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Now in several places, Jesus warns of complacency. And one of those mentions takes us back to Luke 21. We looked at one bit of Luke 21, but this is what Jesus says. Watch out, don't let my sudden coming catch you unawares. Don't let me find you living in careless ease. I think that's another way of saying complacency, isn't it? Don't let me find you living in careless ease, carousing and drinking, and occupied with the problems of this life like all the rest of the world. That was from the Living Bible. But the message version of this always makes me chuckle. And it goes like this. But be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. 
Can I just say, I don't think shopping is likely to be the thing that distracts me from the kingdom. There are things that might, but I don't think shopping is going to be one of them. But, you know, it might for some. But um, someone used a phrase in conversation with me recently when they said, I was sleepwalking through life, but I knew I had to wake up. Somebody here at the moment, actually. Um, I did warn them I'd use their quote. I was sleepwalking through life, but I knew I had to wake up. And it is so easy to sleepwalk through life because the enemy makes sure it's easy to sleepwalk through life because he gives us so many distractions. And I think I might have mentioned to you before, um, I'm going to mention it again, because for me it's a real challenge, but it's the story of the Christian couple who managed to escape from Iran, and they went to live in the States because they were in fear of persecution and even death. But after living in the States for a while, they announced to everyone's surprise that they were going back to Iran. And people asked them why, you know, you could be killed, locked up, persecuted. And when they gave their answer, they said this, we're going back because the Western church is being lulled into a satanic lullaby. And I found that really, really challenging because they wanted to go back to where it was real, where they had to really live it. And I do sometimes wonder, you know, For me, you know, how would I cope with sticking with my faith if I knew that my life was on the line because of Jesus? So that's a challenge to me. Whether it's a challenge to you, I'll just leave that sitting there. But the thing is, we do need the fire because that's what gets us through the challenges. That's what gives us the, the oomph to live the life of the radical Christian. That's what makes us effective in this dark world. It's the fire. And the fire also, it helps us to bring God's word alive. It really does. You know, we need that fire to take the word that Brian was talking about, so important, but we so need to actually make it apply to the world that we live in. And I mentioned that we need both, didn't I? Word and fire. Now, Jeremiah said this, and I I love this quote from Jeremiah. He said, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. If we really have the fire of the Holy Spirit, we can't keep it in. It burns within us like a fire. Now, (coughs) John Wesley, and I think that's um, an 18th century photo of him, Um, but (coughs) he, he was considered by many to be the most influential mind of the 18th century. He travelled around a quarter of a million miles, mostly on horseback, and he planted churches in every little village that he visited. He was the most prominent leader in what was known as the Evangelical Awakening. He saw many hundreds of thousands of conversions, and many suggest he was the main reason why Britain didn't slide into the revelation that was happening in much of the rest of Europe at that time. But when did 
his work start? Well, it started in a little church meeting in Aldersgate Street in London when he had an experience of the Holy Spirit. And he said later that his heart was strangely warmed. And, you know, there was a flame that was lit within him that day that changed the nation. And it was the beginning of his God-given mission. And one of my other heroes, this really is a photo, um, Smith Wigglesworth. Um, One is the younger Smith Wigglesworth, the other one is when he was an old man. But um, he was one of the most dynamic men of faith to come out of England in the last century. And he saw many miracles, he saw healings, and he even raised people from the dead. And his ministry really started when he went to visit a vicar in Sunderland. And at that time in Sunderland, there was a revival that was happening. And when he went there, the vicar's wife prayed for him and he had an experience of the Holy Spirit. And he was determined that he was going to take back what he had received back to his home, which was in Bradford. Now, his wife was a preacher in the Salvation Army. And Smith Wigglesworth had never done any preaching up until that time. In fact, he was uneducated and illiterate, and he was a plumber. That's not suggesting that plumbers are necessarily uneducated and illiterate, but that's just his background. And um, so the evening he got back from Sunderland, his wife was due to be preaching at their little mission, but she sensed there was something different about him. And um, unusually, they agreed that he would now preach. And what happened was something quite unprecedented, and probably, if you like well-ordered church, it was quite messy. Now, these are his own words. I'll just read what he actually said later. I cannot now remember what I said, but my wife was terribly disturbed. The bench on which she sat would seat nine people, and she moved about on it until she had sat on every part of it. Then she said in a voice that all around her could hear, "'That's not my Smith, Lord, that's not my Smith.'" I was giving out the last hymn when the secretary of the mission stood up and said, I want what our leader has received. (laughs) The strange thing was that when he was about to sit down, he missed his seat and went right down on the floor. Then my elder son arose and said, I want what my father has received. He too took his seat right down on the floor. In a short while, there are 11 people right on the floor of that mission. The strangest thing was that they were all laughing in the spirit and laughing at one another. The Lord had really turned again the captivity of Zion and the mouth of his children was being filled with laughter according to the word of the Lord in Psalm 126. That was the beginning of a great outpouring of the Spirit where hundreds received the baptism and the Holy Ghost and every one of them spoke in tongues as the Spirit of God gave utterance. They were Smith Wigglesworth's own words. And as I said, that's the difference that the Holy Spirit and the fire of the Holy Spirit can make in somebody's life. Now it's great to look back at what God has done and to be inspired. But what I want to say this morning is This isn't just for the history books. We have the same God. And I believe he wants to renew the fire of the Holy Spirit for our day. Now, Smith Wigglesworth died in 1947. But before he died, he gave a very significant prophetic word. And again, test all things. 
really important, but personally, I believe this word has something that we need to take hold of today. Now, this is what he said. Remember when it was he gave it back in the 1940s? And he said, during the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it and will be characterized by the restoration of the baptism and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The second move of the Holy Spirit will result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. In the duration of each of these moves, the people who are involved will say, this is the great revival. But the Lord says, no, neither of these are the great revival, but both are steps towards it. When the new church phase is on the wane, there will be evidence in the churches of something that has not been seen before. A coming together of those with an emphasis on the word and those with an emphasis on the spirit. When the word and spirit come together, there will be the biggest move of the Holy Spirit that the nations and indeed the world have ever seen. It will mark the beginning of a revival that will eclipse anything that has been witnessed within these shores even the Wesleyan and Welsh revivals of former years. The outpouring of God's Spirit will flow over from the United Kingdom to mainland Europe and from there will begin a missionary move to the ends of the earth. That's quite a prophetic word, isn't it? Now, I believe we have seen a lot of what Smith Wigglesworth saw. We have seen a restoration of the teaching about the Holy Spirit. You know, when I grew up, the majority of churches seemed to be either cessationist, that is, they believed that the gifts of the Spirit ended in the New Testament, um, or they'd had no experience of it. But now most churches, those that are open to it, Smith Wigglesworth said, seem to be embracing an experience of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know our church, when we were back in Stowmarket in the 80s and 90s, we definitely saw it. Loads of healings. And, and if we had a meeting without a few people ending up on the floor at the end, we were quite disappointed, to be honest. And I've got so many stories about that time, but one that sticks in my mind was um, where one person came out for healing and the pastor turned around to pick up the oil, because that's what you did, turned around to pick up the oil, and when he came back, I remember the look of puzzlement on his face, because the Holy Spirit had already touched this young lady who was flat out on the floor, and I remember him just sort of looking around and, sort of, and doing this, and then sort of put, putting the oil back again, because the Holy Spirit had got there before him. Um, but, you know, so, you know... Please don't actually think ever that the Holy Spirit has to come in a certain way. We just need to be open to every new move of the Holy Spirit and let him come in the way that he wants to come. We so need the Word and the Spirit moving together. We need to be grounded in the Word, as Brian so rightly said, we also need the fire of the Holy Spirit to bring it alive. And church, I do believe we're on the verge of something. Many other men and women of God have prophesied something is coming. Even John Stott, when he came, he mentioned it as well. And I think we have the opportunity to be a part of it if we're open to it, if we are hungry for it. God wants a people who are hungry for him.
He wants a people who are hungry for that fire of the Holy Spirit. He wants a church of kingdom seekers, willing to lay down complacency, willing to lay down distraction, even comfort, to be all out for his cause. Now, here's a challenge. How hungry are you for the fire? How hungry are you for the fire? I'm just going to pray. Father, I want to pray that your Holy Spirit will come into this church in a new and a living way. And I just, I want to pray, but I want you to pray as well, because this is so important. And just ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life in a new and a living way. Open yourself up to the fire of the Holy Spirit. Ask him to come, however he wants to come. Don't get fixed in any way that he has to come this way or that way. Let him do his thing. If you ask for bread, Jesus said, will I give you a stone? You know, don't worry that you're opening yourself up to anything else. If you're asking the Holy Spirit to come, I believe he will respond to that prayer. Just say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lead me closer to Jesus. Just have a moment of quiet just to let the Holy Spirit just speak into your life. What is he saying to you this morning? He will speak if you ask. Is he saying anything you need to respond to? Complacency. Anything you've allowed in that it rather wasn't there. Maybe he's speaking words of reassurance, as we've heard this morning. He's on your case, he's on your side. Maybe he's telling you he has a new thing for you. Maybe it's a new mission, a new gift. Come, Holy Spirit, do your thing in these people's lives. Maybe you've never invited Jesus into your life. And Paul said, if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. If you've never proclaimed Jesus as your Lord, do it this morning. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? The Amplified Version is very helpful there. It says, recognizing his power, authority, and majesty as God. Jesus, just pray these words. Jesus, I recognize you as my Lord. I recognize your power and your authority over my life and I recognize you 
as God. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. And maybe that's a challenge to some of us as well. Have we slipped from recognizing Jesus as Lord, recognizing his power and his authority in our lives?